3: The Shack Show is a production of iHeartRadio. Back on March 31st, the National Golf Foundation sent out its first email letter from their CEO, today's guest on The Shack Show, Joe Bettit, who's been with the organization since 1984, started as a director of research, and he... Uh, issued a statement essentially laying out what they would be doing. They surveyed over a 1,000 golf courses, and since then, weekly, they've been tracking data, uh, also some feelings, uh, thoughts from people, kind of covering a wide array, really, of, of uh, I don't want to say random topics, but in a way they are, but in a, in a good way, and trying to understand what's going on with the sport, uh, perceptions of, of where things stand, and all along, what's been most fascinating to me, I think, is that uh, Dr. Beditz has been very adamant about reminding people that this is a situation that is highlighting the benefits of golf, but at the same time could really shine a light on the sport if people do not appreciate the privilege of being able to go out and play golf right now as, as so many terrible things are going on with uh, lives being lost in the economy, and so it's it's been so refreshing to have somebody in the golf industry that that's that's using data, but also using common sense and thinking big picture and and looking beyond all this to what is best for the sport and protecting it, but also trying to push things forward. So I wanted to talk to to Dr. Joe Bettis, who's down in Jupiter, Florida, about where he has uh, seen things go up and to this point, and possibly where things are headed into the future. I hope you enjoy the discussion. So I look back on my emails, and I saw that the National Golf Foundation started tracking things, uh, Doctor, in, at the, the end of March. And I'm, I'm just wondering if you can kind of set up for us uh, why... Uh, the National Golf Foundation started doing this, and you've been doing every week now with with these uh, phone surveys of of golf courses and I believe of of golfers.
4: It's a little bit of a a couple of coincidences. One, you know, our we have a pretty large and substantial research staff here at NGF, and in our work that we do, much of the work that we do, is private and it's commercial work, proprietary to the companies that we work for. And that's, you know, a good, uh, a significant portion of our, of our, of our work lives here at NGF. The other side is doing things to research the game and the growth of the game, et cetera. So when our proprietary or our commercial projects, uh, kind of got, got put on pause by our client base, I had a lot of research, uh, resources, man, man and women power to, you know, to apply somewhere. And then so that was one thing that we had, and then we've got a couple of unique assets. You know, one one is a universal database of golf courses in the world. It started as a database of golf courses in the United States back in way back in 1934 when we got started by the couple of journalists. In fact, That's right, Joe writers. <laughs> yeah, writers they were in Chicago. Characters too. Anyway, you know, they published some golf magazines. In fact, yes. But in any case, so we have the database of golf courses. Uh, we had the staff, uh, you know, and, you know, the first week I actually hired an outside call agency to make the calls to do the poll of golf courses. But they came back and they said, well, we weren't able to reach, you know, X number of them. I said, well, we can't just assume that they're closed or open. We have to track them down. So I turned my staff loose on it and they kind of fixed that so that we could definitively say, you know what was the status of the 1200 or so golf courses that we called and then of course we found out it was what 47 48% which shocked a lot of people we were convinced it was correct and that we needed to keep doing it so uh, that's where that led and then another asset is we have a consumer panel a golf a core golfer consumer panel which again we use for a lot of our commercial work but our non-commercial work as well and so we decided to start Surveying our panel weekly to see how they were holding up, what their anxiety levels were, how itchy they were to get out and play golf, uh, et cetera, it's time to kind of get into their heads a little bit. And so we just started doing it there six weeks ago, and now we're in our seventh week. And I can tell you today is Wednesday, and our our staff is on the phones <laughs> with <laughs> golf courses completing completing this week's sample. Except now we're asking. We kind of switched because. As you know, we're 95% plus open. The ones that are still closed remain so either because they want to be or have to be by a local executive order. So we huddled earlier this week and said, where do we pivot? And so now we're asking golf courses while we're on the phone with them, you know, how, how open are you? Is the pro shop open? How about the food and beverage? You know, is, um... What does the throughput look like? Are your key times, you know, you know, uh, lengthened significantly, et cetera. So we'll be reporting on that golf course dimension. And we also will be reporting on a new consumer dimension come next Tuesday that that will go into the field probably tomorrow, a new consumer study uh, from our panel that will get wrapped up over the weekend. The guys will work on the weekend on it and give me some results on Monday. And you guys uh, out there will get to see it on Tuesday.
3: You mentioned you were shocked by the number of courses open—shockingly low or shockingly high number—back when you started this. Uh, well, what we're talking about six weeks ago now.
4: I think I'm, I, high. Mm. In answer to your question, in a word, high. I mean, people were incredulous when I told them that we found forty-eight percent of golf mm. courses were still were still open for play.
3: Interesting. Uh, So one of the things that I've noticed in your tone in your messages has been, um, I think, superb, but I'm sure it's been tricky for you. But you have really been emphasizing a certain caution, and you've used a paparazzi analogy, and you've used the yellow light, red light analogy Where's that coming from? What, what, what is, what are you seeing either from, from the people you're talking to or your staff is hearing what's driving you to say those things as you're, as you're writing your weekly letter, setting up these, the, the data you're putting out?
4: Good question, Jeff. Well, it is, it is partly what I'm hearing from people anecdotally from, you know, um, in terms of, I mentioned in this past weekend, the boards of directors, uh, you know, struggling with how to deal with, um, you know, uh, let's say
3: members. <laughs> say it, Joe, Members. <laughs> members. <You> no, <know,
4: laughs> how about if we call them COVIDians? Okay. Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah.
4: Um, and and they're really having to deal with this. Mm. And then I was on the phone, literally just before the day before I wrote that. On Saturday morning, I wrote that after a few cups of coffee. Somebody called me and they, and they told me about a golf course that was in flagrant violation, that shut down by the sheriff's department, punitively closed for 45 days. And, uh, you know, and a, and a couple of, uh, couple of people were arrested in the parking lot DUI. i left that part out. Mm. Um, you know, it's, um, and so the bad behavior is going to happen. I think it's going to be small, but think about this. Think about uh think about a hundred people, even a hundred golfers. Um, if you had a hundred golfers, do you think like maybe one or two of them, let's say two of them, would kind of not be the kind of person you'd want to set up as a role model for your kids or something <laughs> like that. I, I think we could probably assume there were at least a couple out of a hundred. You know, that would give us about a half a million of those around the country then as golfers. Mm. If just if just two percent were uh and you know, um, not compliant, let's say not right. prudent. You know, so what concerns me, I guess, Jeff, is that from everything that I read, and I read a ton, we're still in the middle of this. We're not even in the, you know, we're in the third quarter, maybe. Um, and this could roll right into, you know, right into a second wave. I'm, I'm not a pessimist by nature. I'm an optimist, but, I just think we still need to be really careful both at work and at, and at, and at play and I think golf is perfectly capable of delivering that safe activity for people 100% convinced that it is so long as we kind of self-regulate and you know that we uh, look to generate peer pressure as opposed to police pressure at our golf facilities.
3: Right, but I the thing I I sense though that that is also part of your message is that you also have uh, and I don't know how you survey this or or track this, but I also sense you just feel there is a view of the sport that um, maybe uh, heightens the 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 uh, alert <laughs> systems of people looking for, Trouble, or are wanting to um, get the game, or maybe you just sense that because of the way golf is played and the way it looks that it could look wrong. Is that is that a little bit of what what feeds your your cautionary tone?
4: I think so, Jeff. I mean, I think you're very intuitive there. I mean, it's it's there's a certain amount of, of people. I mean, ninety percent ninety percent of Americans do not play golf. Of course, I could argue that ninety percent. Don't play tennis either (laughs) or ski, but ninety percent don't play golf, and some of them uh, do carry a a negative impression. It's not a majority by any means, but they do carry you know and and you know kind of uh, proselytize a negative image of 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 the game, and it and it's this whole divisiveness of the you know the one or two percenters and the vision of you know golf behind the gated the gated you know gates and walls. When we know, in fact, and NGF is known forever, that you know golf is a very democratic game. It's available in all pla- in all places at all price points, virtually. Uh, I think our consumer research tells us that every golfer that that we have in our panel has you know four to five golf courses you know within a reasonable driving distance of them, you know, at various price points. Uh, so. Yeah, I guess maybe I'm a little sensitive to golf being accused of being elitist, uh, although, um, you know, and that, and that we get to go out and and right. exercise and enjoy our sport when everybody else is shut down. I just think that that's a breeding ground for negativity about the game, which I would hate to see
3: happen. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned uh, the democratic nature, and, and one of the things that... I sense so far, and, and again, we're very early into this, but it seems like this has a potential to be a, a renaissance or a, a something that really sparks a kind of a renewal and a sense of appreciation for both the sport, but in particular, public golf. Is that fair to jump to that conclusion or is it just too early to, to tell in this, uh, this dreadful pandemic uh, where things will go?
4: Well, again, I, lo- I love the direction of your love the direction of your thinking. The, I do hear, anecdotally, again from from feedback from the material we're sending out and people writing in and calling, saying that they're seeing people at their golf courses that they haven't seen in a long time or ever. That there is there does seem to be uh, a heightened uh, interest amongst some. Not not any kind of a decline in interest in golf, and so they're seeing more couples golf, they're seeing more family golf um, in the places that have been denied the ability to play. Now that they're open, they're seeing full t sheets. So I do think that there's there could be a silver lining here in in terms of golf's perception of golf and and participation. Um, you know, we could sure. We could sure use that. You know, we won't die without it. I mean, golf's not going anywhere, but it would be nice if more people enjoyed it. That's really what we're all about. More people enjoying the game uh, in the way that they want to enjoy it.
3: Uh, well, let's take a a quick break here. I'm speaking with uh, Dr. Joe Bettett, of the National Golf Foundation, and uh, we'll uh, hear from our sponsors briefly and we'll continue our chat. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip.
0: Hi, checking in for...
3: All right, we're back. So one of the things that we're uh, looking at as part of this uh, situation where golf courses are open, people are playing, we, we do have a few bad apples here and there, but for the most part, the reports are, are just sensational, at least that I'm hearing of golf courses behaving well, golfers, everything, just uh, being extra careful and sensitive. Uh, so one of the things that's going to be added to that and I don't know how you or if you, if the National Golf Foundation is looking at this or, or is dreaming of how you ask this question, but professional golf may be making a comeback in early June, and obviously it's it's going to be a cumbersome task to do that. Do you, do you see a lot of correlation between how people see the pro game uh, and connect it with the recreational game, and is that something we need to watch in case that doesn't go well or it goes really well is is there a potential uh, impact on the on the business of golf and the everyday game
4: great question there's let me let me share a couple of couple of thoughts on that first of all there's there's absolutely no doubt that broadcast golf streaming golf etc uh, enhances interest in the game it builds interest in the game um, we've seen, we saw that throughout the history of golf, the more exposure golf got, the more popular golf got from perhaps the exposure of Bobby Jones going through a ticker tape parade in New York city mm. on the streets of New York city to, you know, Palmer and Nicholas dueling it out or, or Palmer or, or Nicholas and Watson dueling it out, uh, to Tiger Woods ascension, uh, in the late nineties and into the early two thousands. You know, golf on TV has been a terrific driver. That exposure—almost a hundred million people follow golf either, you know, play it or watch it or read about it—and that's where that's where the pent-up interest in golf, you know, percolates until it, you know, comes to the surface and somebody says, you know, I'm going to give golf a try. So, any golf on TV is 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 good for the game in my in my opinion. Now, how it comes out in June. I think it'll be just fine. I, I really do. I mean, I don't, we did do some survey work on this, amongst our core golfer panel. And while they would prefer, you know, while golfers would prefer to see, you know, um, an audience, a crowd of spectators uh, and, and feel some of that electricity, even, even if it's digitally only, they still said that they would tune in and they would enjoy it and, mm. and that they would, they would, they would jump on it. And, I think everybody's looking forward to the match this Sunday. Coincidentally, Jeff, that golf course Seminole is 7 miles south of me due south on the same road. Ah. Right? So it's 7 miles south of me and Medalist the following week is about 9 miles due north of me on the same road. So I'm our office is smack in the middle <laughs> of the two golf courses that are going to be that are going to be featured here in the next in the next 2 weeks.
3: And you probably can't attend uh, either event. <laughs> which is fine, by the way. It could be that the invitation got lost. Nah, no, no, no. I think they're being extra safe, which is great. Um, no, they are going to be they are going to be super
4: extra, super extra safe, and yeah. I'm just pleased uh, and looking forward to seeing some of it, you know, myself.
3: And you you mentioned doing some some surveying on that. Is that a, a big part of your? Uh, I mean, what what is it that the, that the people who are looking to you for information generally before this? what is it they're wanting to know? And then now in the pandemic, what what is the thing that you're wanting uh, people from the golf business are wanting to hear from, from you?
4: Well, you know, before, before pandemic, you know, people look to us to keep track of, you know, consumer, you know, consumer sentiment, spending, spending habits, you know, incl- inclination to, you know, purchase equipment, travel, et cetera. As I say, we serve, we serve the commercial side of the game and, and we are, we, we our members are all golf related businesses, thousands of them, be they golf courses or be they the biggest manufacturers or the smallest golf course architect. Uh, those are our, those are our our constituents from the turf industry and the John Deere's and the Syngenta's and, um, you know, the tours of the world to, you know, the equipment manufacturers, et cetera. So you can imagine what they're all interested in, what their consumers are thinking and what they might do, um, what they might want. So we, we dive deeply into that uh, for them, both, uh, you know, in, in many, with many, in many different ways, both generally from a macro point of view and also from a very proprietary point of view, you know, by looking at their own and studying their own brand equity et cetera. So before the pandemic, that's the kind of work we did with the industry for the industry, everyone, whether they be a client or not, you know, we track golf courses. We track the number of golfers on and off course. You know, we track blatant demand or interest in the game. We track spending. Uh, We track media consumption and that kind of behavior. And we report that globally to everyone because anybody in the business of golf needs to have those basic metrics right. so what's missing now pandemic wise is a lot of that proprietary or private work that's been put on hold as companies um, you know wide and, wide and far are are you know cutting back on on all discretionary you know spending. so we understand that and and we ourselves are doing are doing the same thing.
3: So Did I wander completely off the wall? No, the no, no, there? no, no. That, no, that's what I it, – it, it's where I was thinking, uh, kind of where I wanted to keep the conversation going. Because obviously I, I, I would sense, and I think it's just too early, but one of the things you'll you'll be really looked to for more survey work after the great work you guys have done so far is, is the future. And, of course, nobody has a clue where this is going to go. But I, I would assume – you said you're doing a lot of reading and, and thinking and, and hearing from people – I assume that's, is that part of your role is to, to the National Golf Foundation to start thinking ahead and saying, seeing some of the trends here and, and where things may go in, in the uh, the golf business?
4: I absolutely do. You know, and, and having, having been doing this for a while here and knowing the history of the organization pretty well and the folks who've been involved, there's always been a deep commitment to, you know, to not only research, but, but also promotion of the, you know, promotion of the game and promotion of the business. You know, we think it's okay that people make, make a living at golf and, you know, that we have hundreds of thousands of people that that do in, in all walks of golf life. Uh, you know, they count on golf to provide a, you know, put a roof over their head. So we promote and we want to promote the game just because we're golfers. And like you, I, you know, I'm all for having more people, you know, it, 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 savor the the qualities that this game, you know, that this game provides. I mean, the things that it, the joy that it can give uh, is, you know, just fantastic. So we do think forward as well, not only with what might happen with golf post virus, but
3: how about if we think about what could happen? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> do tell. What do you think? What are you sensing?
4: Yeah, if it's an inflection point. And we have some control. When I say we, I don't mean the National Golf Foundation. I mean you and me, Jeff. That we have some control over, over the direction that golf might take in the future. I'd like to plant that seed in your head and have another conversation with you, seriously, about what are the four or five things that you think would make golf a better game? That would make golf more enjoyable for more people. if you just think about that I ser- I'm serious invitation to discuss that because I've been thinking a lot about that in the last six weeks and I've got some ideas now I'm not gonna sneak too many of those out or any of them right now, but I will love to talk to you about this uh, <laughs> you know at another at another yeah. time and hear what you have to think about what would make golf a better game? And more more enjoyable for more people.
3: Well, and I think that's one of the tricks in this. Is you know we have to have those conversations, but you also it feels wrong to be doing that right now, knowing what's going on, and we're still at this point, and and people are dying every day. It feels a little bit feels a little bit uh, uh, slimy, and uh, at least for me. But at the same time, you'd be foolish not to be starting to project out and think. And it seems like in a lot of other industries, trends that we're, we're developing now are going to be expedited most, not all. Um, and golf yeah. certainly had a lot of things going in certain directions. Do you sense that's kind of the same thing? That Although this seems so different in some way. I mean, public golf was 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 not viewed in a, a a good light. There was a concern about the future of public golf, and I, I could make a case, I think, today that I'm more bullish on public golf than I have been in a long time because of this. Um, is that your sense, though, that the, that some of the things that were trending will probably get uh, kicked up a notch or two and, and happen even faster?
4: Well, a couple of thoughts. First of all, I think we're going to limp out of this. We're not going to run out of this. Yeah. I think we're going to limp out of it. I think as a, as a national economy, we're going to limp out, and I think as a golf economy, it's not going to—it's—it's it's not going to be, I think, a really fast recovery, but it will be a recovery. You know, I mean, the American economy is going to come through this, and we're going to come through it, and there is another side, and we're going to be, you know, looking forward to getting there. But I don't think it's going to happen, you know, quickly, and, and I don't think the economy is going to recover in a V type shape. I think it's going to be a U, and the question is how deep and how wide is the U? And now the trends in the game itself, you know, um, I think there were some positive trends happening, in from a public golf, oh
3: yeah, you know, yeah, there were.
4: Golf point of view, yeah. You know, you know, there's only one category. We we look at golf courses, Jeff, in three ways. We look at we look at them in three categories at daily fee, which is a public golf course owned privately by somebody or some people, private, be it owned by the members or owned by a corporation, doesn't matter, it's private, and then municipal. And municipal golf is it's a term that goes back way back into into the thirties and forties. In fact there's a there's a book sitting near my office here that and the title of it is Municipal Golf, mm. a guide to operations published by the way it was published by the NGF in nineteen fifty five.
3: Wow.
4: And we we've been very involved in municipal golf throughout the throughout the history and throughout since we were formed in the thirties. But you know, the point on on municipal golf is it's the only category of golf courses over the last 15 years that has gotten larger, not smaller. Hmm. You know, with the closures that we read about golf course closing, these these closures, which we carefully track by the way, uh, this is a natural market correction, but the one category from the municipal daily fee and private, municipal is the only category that's the same size or slightly larger than it was when this correction started 14 years ago. Hmm. Wow. 2,500, about uh, 2,500, by the way, 2,500
3: and a few. So, and you'd be, uh, you you've been, you do track that. I mean, I just saw two courses in Dayton out of three closed. Um, yes. And, and, you know, you look at the situation like that, and again, I read it. I understand these were issues coming uh, for a long time. But then you also think, wow, what's going on right now? Those two golf courses might be seen in a different light in that community, I would think. Um, but maybe not. They just yeah. were fundamentally broken. And as you say, it's part of the correction?
4: I think it is. I mean, we actually we – we. We've worked with hundreds of communities. In fact, Dayton was one of them. We we have consultants that work with the cities, and with their with their golf divisions to try to help them figure out the market and where they fit into the market. And you know, we were a little bit surprised by Dayton that uh, because we didn't recommend that they go quite that far. But obviously, you know, the city has its own financials to worry about, and that's part of what's driving it. Probably the market was definitely a part of it. My guess is is that. The, you know that the city's finances drove you know uh, drove another part of it, uh, but there's still plenty of golf there. I have mm-hmm. to tell you that there's okay. no dearth. I mean, and, and rounds played won't suffer in you know in the date market because those courses closed, um, but we are we are sorry to see them go. But but you have to be somewhat Darwinian about this in your thinking.
3: Sure, sure. Um, let me take one quick break again uh, here, and sure. we'll uh, wrap up this chat with a few uh, general. All right. So uh, one of the things that I noticed in in looking through a lot of the data uh, is that you you these you're you're surveying a, a kind of a um, well a lot of different topics, and I'm sure there are things that you, are, are there things that you would like to survey and poll and be able to share with with the public. That's just a topic that it's it just a tough thing to track. Is there something that's that's just uh, not something that in a survey you can you can trace in terms of uh gauging whatever it is maybe consumer sentiment or or the business side or where people are are feeling cuz for instance today you had quite a bit on on uh, economic sensibilities and the, the the feeling of golfers and where they feel they'll be is there any topic that that jumps out as, as tricky to survey
4: it's great that you call it a survey because it it could be a survey but You know, we think we think a little more broadly than that, like you do. There's lots of ways that one can do research. You know, from from surveys is certainly one of them, where we send surveys, or we you know we can interview people, we can do focus groups uh, for sure, uh, we can do case studies. So there's lots of ways to to apply our research techniques, and we've got a pretty full arsenal of those techniques here at the here at the NGF. One of the more interesting subjects that we're going to be diving into going forward is the customer experience in golf. We're keenly, keenly interested in it because we really do think that generally, uh, the customer experience in golf could be holding back, uh, the potential for, for growth that we think exists. We think that it could be suppressing it to some extent. Mm. And so we're going to be studying the customer experience, and I'm not talking about some of the wonderful places, Jeff, where you and I, you know, have the good fortune of being able to play. I'm talking about the, you know, everyday golf course and and what a a golfer experiences. Let's say an infrequent or casual golfer or a new golfer experiences when they um, when they go to that business and how they're how well, how warmly they are received. And so this is a subject that it's not easy to This isn't just done with a, just a simple survey and there you go. There's the answer. <laughs> everybody acts on it. Right. It's it's much, yeah, it's much more uh, kind of nuanced yeah. than that. We, it will involve secret shopping on our part. Mm. And, and yes, by all means, by all means, research, et cetera, to kind of, uh, bring into focus how we might be able to uh, improve the improve the culture of golf for for more of our more of our players.
3: Yeah, no, I I think about it a lot when I go to a course and you 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 walk in and and either the pro shop is it's uh, run down or the person behind the counters intimidating and not welcoming and you think gosh I can handle this but but the person who's new to the game the game's so tough as it is and a little bit intimidating and scary what does that do to to them or or to a a young kid I see that's where I think more probably uh although that said a lot of us got into the game and dealt with cranky starters and all sorts of other things and (laughs) stayed with it so I maybe it's hard to gauge all
4: right so listen I went through basic training too, but I didn't ask everybody <laughs> else to,
3: right? Right. It is it really, yeah. Is it a good thing now? It was hell for six weeks, but I came out a
4: better person. Yeah. But I think we could make it easier, to be honest with you. I think we could make it a heck of a lot more fun. And I think we can uh, have a have a higher conversion rate from, you know, from interest in golf to trial. In other words, people say they're going to give it a try to conversion. And when that when that sequence happens right, when that launch sequence happens properly, I'll tell you, we've our research has shown that people can become totally fanatical golfers, completely hooked. You know, in in a period of months, uh, it has nothing to do with their ability or their score. Hmm. It, it has everything to do with whether they've got the golf gene, you know, in their DNA, and they uh, and, and they're just likely to get hooked. And we don't turn them away. We don't turn them off.
3: One of the things that I've been hearing and seeing a little bit uh, in person when I've gone over to the uh, local golf course here uh, is Mm -hmm. that the pace of play has been incredibly good, despite things like uh, uh, cart reductions and and people having to use it, Uh, just just different things going on. But it seems to literally come down simply to one thing and one thing only, which is tee time spacing. And it's, 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 is it some, is this something you have, have done research on before, or is it something that you're aware of now in this situation where courses have been forced to do 10, 12, 15 minute spacings and found out, oh, wow, that ended that log jam we always have on the fourth tee?
4: Yeah. We've done a little bit of research. It's been some years since we have, but there's been plenty of research done on, you know, golf course operational research on throughput. And, yeah, there's no doubt that every golf course is a little bit different and, you know, has an ideal, but it has, a, every good golf course has an ideal pace and it does have to do with how many people you, you know, you stick into the funnel on, you know, at one time. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that, that it's picking up and more people are walking, which is a, which is a great benefit. And, you know, and so we think that's a good, that's, we think that's good too.
3: And you can't find a push cart anywhere online to buy. <laughs> they're, they're a hot item here in L.A.
4: I can tell you, I've talked to a couple of major retailers who will go unnamed at this point, telling me that that's the hottest product that they have. And I can tell you that I saw push carts at the club that I belong to down here, which is a nice private club with caddies. And we now have push carts. We now have push carts. And they are all taken generally. They are all taken because they couldn't buy enough right.
3: Yeah, the, the the pandemic has ended two of the stranger peccadilloes that golfers have had: C- country clubs and push carts, and people changing their shoes in the parking lots. So there's that. Um, uh, Which <laughs> I would right, that's for the better, right? That was the oh, absolutely, for the better. yeah, it's ridiculous why places would. Ma- I mean, that w- those were the kinds of things that would would turn people off who you would tell that to who weren't as familiar with the game, just un- not understanding why. Those things were exactly. so odd. Um, <laughs> right. You uh, so so in this time when you're doing all this, have you? Uh, I mean, are you reading a lot of, of things about golf? or Are you looking outside because to to other sources for for inspiration?
4: Well, besides reading your stuff every morning, which I do, by the oh, way, thank about you, six in the morning here, about three in the morning your time. Um, I'll be looking at your stuff every every single morning and looking at your your commentary, and you kind of. To help me, uh, you sift through the, uh, and, and pull forward the interesting stuff. You kind of curate, you know, uh, uh, things that interest you and they happen to interest me generally too. And there's a couple of other sources like that. So I do keep pretty close track of what's being written and what's being written in golf. Um, but I also do read outside of golf. A, a, a book that's very relevant to me recently is a book called culture by design, and this book was written by a fellow by the name of David Friedman. And I commend this book to you and others to to take a look at it. It's a very, very well written, very easy to read and understand. And what I like is it's easy to implement, as my senior staff here will know, because they've all been given a copy of the book and have all had to come up with what we're going to be calling the NGF Fundamentals. These are the fundamental things that drive, that drive our behavior here at the National Golf Foundation. Not just the, 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 the things on the wall that we all have, those mission, vision statements, but these are the actual behaviors be, that are going to be uh, reinforced here at NGF. And as I got to thinking about how NGF's culture could improve, even though it's fantastic right now, it could still get better. I've been thinking about how the culture at our golf courses could improve
1: mm.
4: and how how when somebody walked into that place, it was like walking into a Chick-fil-A.
1: Mm.
4: By the way, one of my top recommendations, we need to be hiring more people from the Chick-fil-A stores and putting them behind the pro shop counters. Uh, and we need to get our golf pros out onto the driving range identifying new golfers, which mm. is pretty easy, by the way. you and I can do it. And giving them little quick mini lessons to uh, and yeah. incurred, words of encouragement, but anyway, culture by design is something that I've read that I think is a great uh, is a great thing for us to be thinking about, and um, you know maybe maybe the subject of another conversation one day.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. You, you do sense that that the, the great places in the game, there is a culture. Uh, and and a, a mission that's that's you just feel it when you when you're there and other places you don't and and a lot of those places survive because they're uh, in spite of their culture because they're well located or it's a good design or it's affordable. Um, I want to throw one last question at you. I, I, I this is a little bit out of the uh, out of the blue, probably one that's unfair to ask. But if 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 golf started from scratch today, how many holes would you? Say based on your, I believe, is it thirty-six years with the National Golf Foundation of of looking at a lot of a lot of data. Years. How many holes would it be? the 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 average normal golf course would it be eighteen? I don't think so. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I, I don't think. I think. I think it would be less. I'd certainly like
4: it to be less now myself, but I think if if you could start it over. Uh, yeah, of course we would do some different, and you're the expert on this. We do some things different about design, wouldn't we? Sure, sure. And about, you know, and about how quickly the game could be played. Um, you know, I think that we would, we would try to keep it to a length that, that the game could be played in two and a half or three hours the way it used to be played while walking. And where there's a T and then a green and then T and a green, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so I think it would be shorter to be honest with you.
3: Yeah. Well, I feel like it's it's twelve that that that's the sweet spot. The nine's not enough, and but but twelve's just the right amount.
4: I love that idea. I was going to say dozen, an even dozen. I love I love the thought of six and six. To be honest with you, because even walking, I just like it. You're right. Twelve is twelve is just about just about perfect.
3: Although I think what you touched on is a more important point. It's that it's it's the time. I, I I think most people start to find themselves now. They're they're no matter how focused or. Uh, uh, how little uh, they have in the way of obligations. That there's something about that two and a half hour, three hour point where the attention span starts to to go. And I I, I used to think that was a negative, uh, say, saying something about our culture, but I don't I don't think it is anymore. I think it just really is about given the game, the the difficulty of it, and all the things that go into it. It's it's a fairly normal reaction. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
4: yeah. And I think it's the future too. I mean, I don't think, I don't think that time compression in our lives is going to relax.
3: Even even though we're experiencing this moment right now, where people are having a little more time, and some people, frankly, are are enjoying the lack of that um, hurry. You know, got to be doing something all the time. Feeling I don't know how long they're going to enjoy it, but. You, you don't. You don't. You, you, your sense is that that won't change after this. No,
4: I, I think that the, the I think the mega trend towards you know constant engagement, not being able to get away from work, constantly checking your email, right, or or take you know look, looking at your iWatch. Um, you know, I mean, I think that the the, the the blurring of the lines between work and home. Uh, And for a lot of people, that's even true today. I mean, I know my staff who have been working at home for a month and a half now, going on two months. They feel like they're working, you know, around the clock Mm, almost. mm. Um, You know that there is no, you know, been been little break. Of course, we've been a safer at home state, so they've been fairly, you know, uh, sequestered. Um, But I think that that mega trend of time compression and, you know, the you know the abundance of of choice and how just we, we I don't think it's going to get any better I you know i think yeah. golf can be a great respite from that uh, rat race right. i think it could be a great respite but I don't think that it can be a five hour respite
3: right right well I can't thank you enough for taking the time and all the great work you're doing I will obviously link to the website and and continue to highlight uh, what is just fascinating research and I look forward to some of the other topics that the the National Golf Foundation probes here in the coming weeks and months.
4: Fantastic, Jeff. It's been great talking with you. I look forward to a, another conversation. And do me a favor. Remember, I'd like you to think of a handful of things that you think would make golf more enjoyable to more people.
3: Deal. All right. Well, thank you again to, to Dr. Joe Bettitz. I really appreciate his time. And I will link a few things in the show notes. Uh, that book, Culture by Design, sounds quite interesting. And also, of course, if you go to my website jeffshackleford.com, I've been putting up in the uh, about well every week when they post their National Golf Foundation findings. And this week, it's 91% of courses are open, and there are some interesting results in the graphs and and uh, data shared about uh, consumer sentiment and and safe distancing and all sorts of interesting things that for anybody in the golf business you'll want to see. If you're not tracking and I do think it's fascinating and will be fascinating to see what they touch on here in the coming weeks and what he mentions in his letter so I'll keep sharing all that as always on my website and again the Shack Show uh, thank you again to everybody for listening and especially to iHeartRadio and to the show's producer Tim Porochka for putting this all together The Shack Show is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And I'll be back soon with another Shack Show. Thanks for listening.
0: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table.